It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And a very good Thursday morning to you and you can definitely start to feel the drop in uh, temperatures and yesterday evening I was oh yeah it's getting really really chilly indeed so I wasn't surprised to hear overnight it was quite low and actually one of the weather stations I don't know what part of the country it was in but it actually went below uh, zero but I wasn't surprised to hear that because I did think it was a very chilly night uh, last night. Anyway very good morning welcome along to the programme my thanks to John Paul and to Bernie for stepping in for the the last uh, two days when we had one of those kind of cold with scares going on uh, in the house when you don't know what to do. You're doing the COVID tests, they're coming up negative, but you're saying, okay, I'll wait and the symptoms are still there. And uh, it's just, it really is hard to know. And Marsh, unfortunately, had been identified as a very close contact to somebody who had come down with uh, COVID. And of course, then it's just as the sheer coincidence, we all come down with a kind of a sinusy, head cold, sore throats and, you know, what are typically the symptoms of uh, COVID. And you're just so nervous about passing it on to somebody else. So you're very much erring on the side of staying indoors and doing your rapid antigen uh, testing. But it looks like it, it simply was just one of the many viruses and sinus infections and kind of things that are doing the rounds at the moment. But I suppose this is the way it's going to be, certainly for the rest of uh, the winter and possibly into uh, next year as well. So uh, thanks to John Paul, as I say, uh, and for Bernie uh, for covering the programme for the last two days. So John Paul is back answering your calls this morning. If there is anything you want to share with us, 0818 I can already see texts and WhatsApps coming in to 0862 And one of the things, that story that has broken since I was off just for the last uh, two days is as to see the photographs of Tina Satchwell all back in the uh, papers today and I suppose it's a name and it's a face we certainly won't forget uh, here in Cork and for her family you're, you just think of the poor family and what they have been uh, going through since her disappearance in 2017 and Ralph Regal is again writing about it in the papers uh, today and he's saying that the Gardaí upgraded the investigation from a missing persons inquiry which is what it's what it has been for the last six years but they upgraded it to a murder probe they say after they received significant new intelligence. Now a man as we know has been questioned by Gardaí for the last two days 
on suspicion of Tina's murder, but he was released without charge yesterday evening. He's a man described in his 50s, known to Tina. He was released after being questioned at Cove uh, Guard the Station. He was at Cove Guard the Station for Tuesday and for much of uh, yesterday. Now, following the questioning at Cove Guard the Station, a file now is being prepared. That will go to the Director of Public Prosecutions. Uh, and while that's going on, the Gardaí, of course, are continuing the examination of a property in the East Cork seaside town of uh, Yall. Tina disappeared. It's the 20th of March 2017 and it has, as I say, been treated as a missing persons inquiry until Tuesday when the, it was only on Tuesday the Gardaí formally upgraded it to this murder investigation. The arrest of the man in his 50s and the search of the house, that was triggered according to Ralph Regal after Gardaí reviewed the case file in light of the receipt of new intelligence several weeks ago. Now Gardaí have obviously refused to comment on what is this new op- information and they're doing that obviously for operation uh, reasons but one source is just saying it was significant information. Now it's understood that the search operation at this house in uh, Yall has been planned for weeks. It's expected to continue for at least another two days. The property has been sealed off and it's actually shielded. You possibly saw this on any of the uh, TV news bulletins on the case. They have the property shielded by plastic sheeting so you can't actually see uh, what's going on. It, uh, and the search is covering the entire ground floor as guard the technical experts began an examination of the house and the adjacent garden. The search uh, was has also been extended to two vehicles, a car and a van. Officers seemingly are conducting an inch by inch search of the interior. Now that includes going underneath the floors and it's also including an inch by inch search of the roof space. There's also an area of footpath and a drain near the property that's been uh, inspected and there was also a partial excavation. So that work is continuing and I suppose all we can hope for the Satchwell family, for Tina's uh, family and her friends that some closure is, is is brought to them because they really have been living a nightmare since her disappearance back in March of 2017 and no family should be asked uh, to go through that. And I suppose another uh, Irish family that has been brought some closure but not not the closure certainly that they wanted is the family of the Irish-Israeli woman uh, Kim Damty. She has been confirmed dead following the attack by uh, Hamas at the weekend in Israel. Uh, Kim Damty had been missing since the attack on the festival on Saturday morning where at least 260 people had been killed. The 22-year-old had been at the festival in the desert. It was just close to the border with uh, Gaza and of course it was targeted as part of the incursion which was the deadliest attack on Israel by Hamas in half a century. Um, More than 3,000 people have now been killed in Israel and in Gaza since those initial attacks on Saturday and then of course this subsequent uh, fighting. But it was a statement online from Kim's sister Laura that confirmed the uh, tragic news. The Taoiseach Leo Varadkar 
said that Ireland is united in mourning for Kim uh, Damty. The vibrant, young Irish-Israeli woman was struck down in her prime, he said, and her adult life ahead of her taken. Her death and the deaths of more than a thousand other citizens of Israel and from around the world, he said, so he said it was senseless and it was uh, barbaric. And it's just... Just you look at the photographs uh, over the last few days. The you know the family had obviously released photographs of Kim to the world, and you couldn't but be struck by you know the vibrance and the beauty and the energy of this young twenty-two-year-old woman. I mean, she had her whole life ahead of her, you know, full of promise, and all of that uh, taken away from her. I mean, for anyone to lose a child is absolutely devastating. But I think to lose a child in circumstances like this has just got to be in indescribable and you're just sort of looking at what's going on in the world and the madness and the cruelty that's going on in in the world it really is just so hard uh, to take and we will be talking um, a little bit later on in the programme about the situation and what's going on uh, in Gaza and you can't but help but think of the uh, the civilians, the innocent people in Gaza. We now have the Israeli Energy Minister vowing that the country won't allow any basic resources of humanitarian aid into Gaza until at least Hamas releases the people that they abducted at the weekend. So that means no electricity, there's no water, there's no fuel tanks, nothing is going to be allowed in. There's about 150 people. They include soldiers, civilians, children and women who've been held hostage in Gaza since Hamas struck on uh, Saturday. And now, of course, we know Israel have announced a complete siege on Gaza. I did see last night that the International Committee of the Red Cross, you know, they're trying to negotiate on both sides, particularly to try to get the release of the uh, hostage. But they are really urging both sides to reduce the suffering of uh, civilians and to try at least and open up some kind of a humanitarian corridor that it can at least get some aid in um, and and also to try to get some of the citizens out. Because when you think about that there's going to be, apps, you know, that the electricity now is gone and seemingly the last power station ran out of fuel. So you think of hospitals in the area who suddenly now have no power. It means, you know, little babies that are, are in incubators, the incubators suddenly can't be switched on. Elderly people who are looking for oxygen, people who need kidney dialysis, people who are surgeons trying to do operations. It's just, yeah, and it's once again, it's the innocent civilians that are uh, suffering. We're back again to man's inhumanity to man. Now, some people in West Cork are concerned about the future of the Bantry Hospital Mental Health Unit with the announcement that it's to close for a four month period to allow for a 2.5 million euro refurbishment project. Should people be concerned? Local Fianna Fáil, Dáil Deputy Christopher Sullivan says no. And he joins me to explain why. Good morning to you, Christopher. Hey, Patricia. And you're welcome to the programme. So this closure is only for the works to take place. There is no long-term plans, as far as you know, to close this unit. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I, I really welcome this opportunity to, to clarify that. Uh, my office was inundated with calls, um, I think it was possibly the week before last, um, with concerns that the unit was uh, closing down permanently. They would no longer be there. Um, I quickly moved to try get clarification from HSC management uh, to find out exactly what the position was. Um, I had discussions with management and they explained um, what exactly was happening. Now, it's a shame for for patients, for staff, for families that the HSC didn't 
I guess, move to um, inform the family straight away in terms of what was happening before these rumours got up. But these rumours were pretty much everywhere. Um, so I felt it was really important to get uh, the, the, as much facts as possible out there. Um, and what is happening is uh, that the refurbishment is taking place, that discussions were ongoing with contractors as to the best way to pr- pr- proceed with the refurbishment. I mean, it's 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 a very welcome investment, I must say that. I mean, we we were your radio station covered uh, um, uh, this time last year about the issues that the Mental Health Commission had with the facility at Bantry. And the reduction of the beds at the time. Exactly. They were were looking for a reduction from 18 beds down to 11. Um, We fought a hard fight to keep it at 15 beds, which is three less than what it was. Um, uh, And these are necessary works because the the Mental Health Commission were concerned about the the community space um, in the the centre and also um, the privacy that patients had. So it was really, really important that, that we got this funding, we secured this funding. Um, and now it's time for, for the work to happen. And, and the good news, uh, I guess, to come out of this is that the facility or that the centre will, um, when the works are completed, uh, revert back to an 18 bed um, centre, which is where it was in the first place. So there will be no overall loss of, of, of um, uh, space. So then the, the, the discussions that the HSC had with the contractor were they had two options. Um, either they would keep the patients uh, in place. Uh, while the works were going on. Uh, and this uh, would have meant two things that I think would have been less ideal. Number one, the patients would have, have uh, been looked after and getting care while there was a lot of noise and construction going in and around the area. Uh, that would not have been ideal and it certainly um, wouldn't have good, good outcomes, for, I think, from a, a patient point of view. And secondly, the works, if they were to be done that way, um, my understanding would have taken in the region of 76 weeks, which is far, far too long. Uh, for for people to be um, uh, having to deal and cope with that level of noise. Whereas now so they're the saying four months in and out. Four months, sixteen weeks in and out. But that that unfortunately inevitably leads to the the, the, the closure of the centre for that period. Um, so obviously the next question that that families have, that uh, that that patients have, um, that staff of course of Bantry have is what happens next. Where do we go? What does this mean for us? So that's what I've been trying to find out over the last week. As recently as just this morning, uh, again, HSC management uh, finally came back to me with, with confirmation of what's happened here. And I will be they will be issuing with me with a full explanatory document. And any families, um, obviously, for GDBO reasons, I don't have details of family names, patients' names, staff, etc. But anyone who does want to contact me, I can share that information with them. So what is happening, first of all, the patients which have to be at the centre of this, um, they will still be looked after, but they will be moved to um, either the... Uh, Centre for Mental Health Care in CUH, uh, the acute unit there, or in the Mercy. So it'll be between the two that will accommodate um, the, the the patients that are are being cared for in the Bantry Centre for Mental Health. Do they the have moment. Do they have space, Christopher? They 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 will be making space absolutely, okay. and and, right. and and that's that's the most important thing here is that they're looked after, uh, and thankfully they're still within the county. I know this is West Cork, and it's still a long way from the city. Um, but this is the this is the solution that they that that they have come up with in terms of of um, caring for the patients that are, that are there at the moment. And look, these are experts in mental health. These are this is the acute mental health unit in CUH, so they will get the top level of care. Unfortunately, yeah. it won't be and, a bad. And I know whenever we talk about this unit on the program, we always have family members uh, and people who have attended the unit, and they speak so highly of it. Have you any indication will the staff move with the patients? No, so the staff will remain in West Cork, uh, and and again, th- this is the 
this is detail from a conversation that I've had with management and I'll be getting all the exact detail. But my understanding is that the nurses will remain in West Cork um, and they will be deployed into uh, the community service, uh, so the community healthcare, healthcare service. So they certainly, they, 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 I think it'd be welcome news for them that they don't have to travel to the city with, with, with um, uh, patients, that they'll be able to remain in West Cork and work in the community uh, service there. The consultants will also uh, remain uh, in West Cork, in the, in the, in the West Cork um, mental health uh, set up here. Now, the admin staff, a lot of the admin staff will remain on site as well in, in Bantry Hospital because obviously a lot of the files will still have to be processed, recordings, etc., will all have to be processed. Um, and, you know, some of that could still happen on the ground floor uh, of the existing uh, centre. But obviously, with the noise associated with that, there is an option to move to the uh, to the new Dromley unit, which is very, very close by as well. So look, it's uh, it's 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 um, I will share all the details of exactly what's happening. It's not ideal. I mean, we should never have come to this. This all work should have been done um, years ago. In fact, I've been making the case for years that that West Cork needs a dedicated purpose built um, uh, centre for mental health. That would cater for far more than than 18 patients that would that would suffice the need of west cork this refurbishment is certainly very welcome um when reopened and i've been given assurances that it will reopen before january 31st when reopened it'll be far far better than what we had and then yeah we'll and, 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 and i think too for, for you know project. allaying people's fears i mean the fact that the hse is investing 2.5 million uh, euro i mean that's a firm commitment from the hse that this unit will remain in west cork isn't it it is, and when when uh, I suppose news broke of the mental health commission's recommendations, you know, I, I moved to act very quickly with um, Minister Mary Butler, who's the minister responsible for mental health, to try to secure this investment. But it shouldn't, it's like like anything. Sometimes with the HSC, we're very reactive. It shouldn't take. Um, it shouldn't. T- Sorry, there's a, a call coming through here. Okay, gen- tends to happen a lot when I, when I'm on to Patricia. Um, but it shouldn't take a, a crisis like this. It shouldn't take a mental health um, uh, commission report to, to secure this investment. This should have happened long, a long time ago so that we'd have more time to put a proper uh, contingency plan in place. This isn't perfect, uh, but the important thing for me is that uh, patients will be will be cared for, um, that, that staff, that there's a plan for staff that they can remain in place uh, and will be used to, to, to the best of their ability. Um, and the uh, unit sure is there it, for the future. Yeah, no, and very important. I think it's it's important to say as well before any final final decisions is made, there will have to be consultation with with, with stakeholders. So the HSE and what I've urged them to do this morning is please contact stakeholders uh, as soon as possible to let them know what's going on. Everyone's working in a vacuum here. I think I'm trying to shed light uh, on what's going on and hopefully have brought some bit of clarity to to, to any um, patients our families who, who are listening today in terms of what's happening. Yes, to keep um, people but, informed. You know, if, if, exactly, yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Okay, and I'm clock watching for you because I know you've a meeting at half ten and it's exactly half ten so I'm going to let you go. Uh, but Christopher, thank you for that and, and thanks for the update. Thank you so much Patricia. Okay, good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is... Cork South West uh, Door Deputy Christopher O'Sullivan with the firm commitment that that mental health unit at uh, Bantry Hospital is to remain uh, in place but it will close for the four months while that major refurbishment work uh, gets underway. And I can see a number of uh, texts and comments coming in when I mentioned at the top of the programme well I I was mentioning about the Irish-Israeli woman uh, Kim Damty who has now been confirmed dead um, but um, I was just talking about the situation 
situation that's going on in Gaza and saying, I can't help but think of the people of, of Gaza and what's going on there. And, you know, the fact that there's no humanitarian aid getting through to people in hospitals trying to uh, struggle with now with no power. A lot of people having huge sympathy for the uh, Palestinians. Pat says that everyone in this country needs to spare a thought for Palestine and its people. They were invaded by the Israelis who took their country all those uh, years ago. It's a bit like the British who went in and uh, stole from other countries. We need to support them. That's from Pat 0818 John Paul taking your calls. Now I want to continue on our piece about the Bantry Hospital Mental Health Unit and we heard from Christopher, Deputy Christopher Sullivan about his closure for the refurbishment uh, work. But I want to turn your attention to the staff at that unit. And Michael Hayes is the Deputy General Secretary of the Psychiatric Nurses Association and he joins me. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning, Patricia. Now, How the, are you? I'm very well, thank you. The one thing, chatting with uh, Christopher O'Sullivan, and he's been in contact with the HSE, he was saying, you know, there's just, a, there's just a vacuum of a lack of information going on between the patients and their families about this unit uh, closing for the four months, but also about the uh, staff. When were staff first informed that the unit was going to close, even if it was only temporarily? Well, for ourselves in the PNA, and look, thanks, Patricia, for having us, because this is an important issue, especially locally to yourselves. Um, I suppose the first inkling we had, um, we understood that the Mental Health Commission had suggested that there was a need for redevelopment and refurbishment, um, but there was no plan of action, certainly none communicated to ourselves or our members on the ground. Um, The first inkling we had um, officially that um, something was going to take place was um, a, a tweet um, sent late last week um, um, by one of the local TDs as far as outlining what the plan of action was. Um, straight away when I received that, um, I would have made contact with HR and nurse management in in Cork and in West Cork um, to say that I was furious to be learning of these uh, developments through um, you know a Twitter feed um, would be an understatement. Uh, we look for engagement straight away. Uh, a meeting was set yesterday morning with ourselves, where for the first time we were told, six days prior to a potential closure, that the unit would be closing from next Tuesday. Um, to, to say that we were furious would be an understatement. Um, to say that our members are shot um, and perplexed and very upset about the way that this has been handled would be an understatement. Yeah, so, I think to be everyone, honest, yeah. we are still we are still waiting on final details. We are waiting for documentation from the HSE by twelve o'clock today. Um, I will be meeting and we will be engaging with our members this afternoon and we have a meeting set with the HSE again tomorrow. <clears throat> well I I and you weren't listening, obviously. You didn't hear my interview with uh, uh, Christopher O'Sullivan. No, he's just received confirmation from the uh, HSE uh, that the workers are going to remain locally. The patients are all going to be moved to CUH um, and the Mercy Hospital. But he's just got confirmation that the staff are not going to move. They're going to go out into the community. I, I mean, is, yeah, is, is and, that and, going and to... That, no, that was confirmed to us yesterday that it would be kept relatively locally between either Bantry or possibly moving to Skibbereen to the services there. And is that what um, staff want? Is is that in the best interest of staff? 
well, I suppose any disruption to service is not in the best interest of anyone. Yeah. I suppose we understand that the refurbishment needs to take place, but the manner that this has been conducted has been extremely, extremely worrisome. I suppose what we have sought from, and look at, you know, the PNA is not just a trade union, we're a professional organisation. Very much we are advocates for patients, um, and our members are advocates for our patients. That is the number one duty of a nurse. Um, so our major concern at the moment, obviously there are concerns about our terms and conditions, um, the way people work and where they will be moved to. But our major concern at the moment is what is the actual standard operating procedure of taking in patients into the service and how do local people, um, if they can help, uh, how is that formulated and how do they you know, get assessed? Um, so we have major concerns in relation to that. Um, we obviously, our members on the ground, will you know, ultimately be dealing with any presentations that come to the area, mm. um, whether that is an assistant director of nursing grade or a specialist nurse on the ground that may be assessing someone um, for admission. So our, our major concern at the moment is how do we facilitate care um, while the refurbishment takes place? Um, those answers haven't been given to us yet. We've looked for a standard operating procedure from the HSE as far as how that would progress and how that would look. Um, there's been a brief outline of a given. I suppose we're now waiting on that documentation, waiting for engagement with our members in the afternoon, and then we will be responding to the HSE. Okay, but it's just, it's just the, the whole way that this has been uh, handled and the, the concern for family members who've got loved ones in the unit. I mean, and that's why uh, some people then got it into their heads when they heard this announcement of a closure, thought it was going to close permanently, and that just caused absolute consternation uh, locally. So at least we've, we, we now know that it is going to reopen after the refurbishment uh, work and hopefully the fact that they're putting you know 2.6 million into it, it does bode well uh, for the future. But these works, Michael, are works that are really long overdue. It's, it's again, it always seems to be the poor relation when it comes to mental health in this country, doesn't it? Well, I suppose the common reaction is to react to something rather than be proactive. Yeah. I suppose... Before COVID, there was, there was fears that the unit would close, simply close. Um, and I think a lot of political backlash to that and local backlash to that, considering, you know, the geographical location of Bantry, the fact that it's not readily, easily accessible to Cork, either to CUH or to Mercy, is the fact that Bantry's remained open. And it's an absolute necessity that, <coughs> excuse me, that it remains open. Um, I suppose our concern is we have a we have a time scale of sixteen weeks for the refurbishment. We have been told that it will reopen on January thirty first. We need assurances in relation to that. Um, you know, whatever about trying to ensure patient care is delivered for those sixteen weeks, we certainly don't want to see a situation where sixteen weeks becomes twenty, becomes thirty. Um, and at the end of the day, we can't have a situation where the service just becomes used to sending people to Cork. Yeah. I mean, we should have local 
services accessible and as we know we know only too well West Cork is a big big area listen Michael we leave it there thank you for that though and thanks for joining us on the programme this morning Uh, good morning to you that is Michael Hayes who is the Deputy General Secretary of the Psychiatric Nurses Association Uh, listener says uh, hi Patricia where are patients to go I didn't hear Uh, well according to Christopher Sullivan he's got confirmation from the HSC that the current patients that are there are going to be moved to uh, the mental health unit at CUH and some will go to the mental health unit at the Mercy Hospital uh, while the refurbishment work is going on and he is um, being told that the refurbishment work will, once it's complete, it will then reopen at full capacity which is the full 18 beds on the 31st of January. 0818 Our lines are open and can I say hi to Tim and the crew who've just sent me in a WhatsApp with a gorgeous picture saying they're listening to us loud and clear in Malaga and they've got a beautiful clear blue sky in Jordan. Now after Hamas's deadly attacks in Israel last weekend and then Israeli's hellish bombardment of Gaza it really is hard to watch what is unfolding there but the real losers are of course the innocent men women and children who have died and will die as long as this war goes on. People Before Prophet Solidarity TD McBarry is a supporter of justice for the Palestinian people and Mick joins me this morning. Good morning to you Mick. Good morning to you Patricia. Mick, Israel's policy of a collective punishment against all of the residents of Gaza it's just not defensible is it? It's completely indefensible um, And it means that the humanitarian crisis uh, is well underway there now. So as we speak, uh, we have 340,000 people displaced, in other words, made homeless. Um, As of yesterday, we were told no water for 400,000 residents. Uh, That would probably be over half a million now. Uh, And yesterday afternoon, uh, early evening, uh, the electricity supplies uh, ran out they're keeping uh, hospitals going with generators today, but um, that's not going to last uh, very long. And at the border, you have the fourth largest military force in the world. The Israeli Defence Forces, whose boss, the Defence Minister, has told them that when they go in, uh, there's to be no holds barred, that previous restraints are being uh, lifted. Um, and uh, clearly, they're getting ready to... Uh, to go in there and to go in very hard. There's a former uh, US special envoy um, who was interviewed the other morning and who said we we could be looking at 10,000, 20,000 deaths or more. You're absolutely right in what you say, Patricia. Um, You know, what Hamas did uh, is completely wrong. They targeted uh, innocent Israeli civilians in a murderous way. Um, they did the, the Palestinian cause uh, uh, no good uh, by doing that uh, either. But this is a collective punishment uh, by a, a regime which is operating a policy of uh, apartheid. Yeah, and you know, people, you hear from Israel saying they have a right to defend uh, themselves. And as you say, everybody condemns what Hamas uh, did. But what do you believe should have been an appropriate response from Israel? Well, I, th- I think that the, the root cause of the problems here uh, is the occupation of Palestinian lands. It's a racist occupation uh, and a bloody occupation. Uh, and I think until, until such time as that occupation is ended, 
um, you're looking at a cycle of violence uh, that is next to near impossible uh, to break. Um, so while I uh, am totally opposed and horrified by the Hamas uh, action, um, I think you know you're you're not going to be, even begin to resolve the issues here until that uh, bloody occupation is uh, is ended. Yeah, I mean everybody talks about you know a, a, a two-state solution. You know, watching, it is absolutely heartbreaking and depressing watching the scenes that are coming out from the Gaza Strip. But we are now further away than ever, aren't we, from a two-state solution? Yeah, um, I think down through the decades, uh, there have been attempts um, from above, if you want to use that phrase, from big uh, powers uh, like the US, the UK and the EU uh, to broker uh, solutions that, that they would be uh, satisfied with. And they've never uh, involved uh, a real homeland for the Palestinian people. Um, Gaza is not a homeland. Gaza is like the Bantustans that used to exist in apartheid uh, South Africa. Israel controls the borders, the skies, the sea along the Strip. Uh, it is an occupation. Um, so I, I wouldn't place any faith in solutions being brokered uh, by the United States or by the European Union. I think they're part of the problem rather than part of the solution. They've armed uh, Israel and will have blood on their own hands uh, if the Israeli Defence Forces carry out massacre in uh, Gaza. So it might raise the question of, well, where is the hope? And it's hard to see hope, but I, I would see uh, if there's any hope in the situation, um, the fact that the the Israeli state is not the friend of the Palestinian people, but it's not the friend of the ordinary working class Jewish people either. You've had huge protests there over the Netanyahu government's attempts to um, undermine democracy. Uh, you've also had huge protests against water charges, interestingly, and privatizations. In recent years, I think the Palestinian people and the young Palestinian people will resist an invasion. I think being realistic, they will resist it with arms in hand. And I think that that will need to be organized from below through democratically elected uh, committees uh, rather than through uh, Hamas, who do not offer any way forward Mm -hmm. uh, for the Palestinian uh, uh, people. And if at some point you could have a coming together of the Palestinians who are campaigning for their own state, the ordinary Palestinians, and the Jewish working class people, many of whom oppose the occupation and many more of whom oppose the actions of their government, that would begin to open a way forward. But I'm not saying it's easy and... Uh, I think we're looking at some uh, things are going to get uh, worse here before they get better. Yeah, I know the International Red Cross, you know, urging both sides to try to reduce the suffering of uh, civilians. I mean, we need humanitarian corridors. I would would just say on that, though, you know, I'm listening to the likes of Leo Varadkar in the doll here saying that the Israeli state should show restraint and should be proportionate. Um, There should be no unleashing of war here and no invasion of Gaza and no collective punishment of the of the Palestinian people. It seems that some of the political establishment here, while attempting to appear moderate, in reality are saying, well, a little bit of a war, a little bit of an invasion, but not too much. There should be no war and no invasion at all.
And we also need, um, and I know the EU have called for it, a humanitarian corridor needs to open up like as soon as possible. Yeah, it's 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 shocking there. The, the, if you look at the map, uh, Gaza is like a, a thin little strip uh, along the Mediterranean there, and there is uh, a corridor into Egypt uh, at a crossing point called Rafah. Um, Israel has bombed uh, that crossing point; uh, they forced it to be closed, uh, but it, it it should be uh, reopened. The Egyptian state stops Palestinians from fleeing into into Egypt. That is that is wrong. Um, um, uh, but even if there was a corridor for humanitarian aid, uh, that would be a, a small step forward in in the horrendous situation that's unfolding here. Can you see that happening? I think uh, uh, the more pressure that's brought to bear, uh, the better. I think that there are demonstrations now uh, taking off and taking place right around the world. I think they will probably peak on Saturday. I know that there's one in Cork City at 12 o'clock. Uh, on Saturday, I attended one in Dublin yesterday evening in the Spire. But I think New York, you know, London, Paris, all the big cities, there needs to be mass demonstrations at the weekend saying um, no bloodshed, uh, no war, and demanding justice uh, for the Palestinian people and defending the rights of the ordinary Israeli uh, people as well. Um, and this is a... a this is a fight against the apartheid, uh, brutal uh, regime that runs Israel. It should not be a fight against the ordinary Israeli Jewish uh, uh, people uh, who have their own rights that absolutely uh, need to be uh, defended and respected. Yeah, and I can just even see, this is just a snapshot in time of, of our listeners uh, and listening to you speak this morning, uh, Mick. A huge amount of people with great, great sympathy for the Palestinian people and people talking about, you know, what they've put up with for the last uh, 75 years. Somebody said they've been treated like trapped animals. Um, we must not forget about the Palestinian uh, people uh, and let them know that the Irish are thinking and praying for them. OK, listen, I've got to leave it there. Uh, Mick, thank you for that. And uh, thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Thanks for that. And just to say briefly that with uh, Mallow coming into Cork North Central now, I, I hope to be talking to you again sometime soon. <laughs> Thanks for the electioneering. Uh, good morning, Mick. Thanks for that. That is uh, Mick Barry, uh, People for Profit, uh, Solidarity TD. Now, I did mention that there's a bit of heavy rain forecast uh, for overnight tonight and that may be causing some concerns for Mary, uh, who wants to... Uh, does anybody know why there always seems to be flooding between Mallow Hospital and the Circle K garage. She says of late it's getting really, really bad. She said whenever we get heavy rain, she said that area seems to flood and she's wondering what is uh, the problem and I don't know, is it, is it a drain issue? Um, what Did it always flood? I mean, I take from the tone of your message that it's a kind of a recent thing, that it wasn't always the case. Does anybody know what the reason for that uh, is? And I would suggest maybe Mary maybe get on to a local councillor and uh, see if they can sort out because if it's something that's continuously happening it's an area certainly that needs to be uh, looked at. Uh, hi Patricia we were talking about the mental health unit in Bantry and the refurbishment work but and while everyone welcomes the refurbishment work and it is long overdue and badly needed but the fact now that it's to close to four, for four months and the way 
it's been handled in informing staff and informing patients and then informing their uh, families. That's prompted somebody to say, Patricia, there's something very, very wrong with the management of the HSE's mental health services in this country. You imagine what it must be like for those trying to get help when you hear what they're actually doing to staff by not keeping them informed. And then you try and imagine what it must be like for a family who's trying to get answers from the management for, say, the loss of a family member due to suicide while in the care of these uh, people. And this listener feels that it's the TDs are to uh, blame. Doesn't expand on why they're blaming the uh, TDs, but certainly says what has been done to some of the families. They have suffered enough and it needs to uh, end. 0818-103-103. And just on... uh, an update on a story that's kind of unfolding while we're on air and we'll certainly probably look at it in more detail tomorrow. This is to do with RTE who are running out of cash and they're before the Dáil Public Accounts Committee today and it seems Kevin Backhurst, the new Director General, is uh, telling those committee members that they have enough in the coffers to keep them going on till spring. But after that, they won't have any funding. They have the, so, you know, he's really pushing like mad that RTE need cash and they're going to need it sooner uh, rather than later. Now, he is saying that there are complete new procedures that have been put in place, particularly around the presenter uh, contracts. He says contracts now must come to the full leadership team. There is an oversight then from the Board of Renumeration Committee on any new presenter uh, contracts. But it's not, it, I'd be interested to see did any of, are any of the TDs and the committee members pushing him on what size will those contracts be? It's all well and good to say, you know, the full leadership team is going to look at the contracts. The Board of Renumeration Committee are going to look at it. But if they're ridiculously high uh, contracts, I mean, how much are they willing to pay some of the top earners in RTE? I wonder, will that get mentioned uh, today? Now, he's also been asked about the sale of the RTE campus in Donnybrook, because, of course, that has been on the uh, cards. The early indications suggest a complete sale is unlikely. He said the repurposing of the current site would not be without challenges and then also added it would come with uh, significant uh, costs. Uh, He's told the committee that he has put recent initiatives in place. They've stopped discretionary spending. There's a freeze on the recruitment of staff. They're also deferring investment in digital and capital projects and that is managing to save the organisations millions of euro. But he says the commercial performance is doing doing good. But his message to the PAC, which obviously the Public Accounts Committee, and it's the message to the government, his message is that the funding system is broken and that they urgently need uh, help. And I know there's an ongoing issue with the fact that they still have more and more people who are deciding not to pay their television licence. I heard the Minister at Catherine Martin state, I think they were 40 million they're down now. So it's obviously huge numbers are not paying their TV licence. And of course, the more that that gets reported that people are not paying their TV licence, when somebody gets a renewal in, they're kind of thinking, hmm, will I pay this or will I hold off if everybody else is holding off? Why should I pay, pay it? It's going to be very interesting to see what is going to happen. How are they going to get, how are they going to force people to pay their TV licence? I mean, they can't take everybody to court, not when it's running into now tens of thousands of households have decided not to uh, pay. So only time will tell how that pans out. But in the meantime, 
um, we've Kevin Backer saying, going cap in hand, saying we need money or else we're not going to have an RT in the spring because they're going to run out of money. 0818103103. Continuing to hear the fallout from the budget. And of course, the budget was very much kind of as I was I was at home, obviously, I was off with Marsha and I was able to watch the whole thing uh, live. And as, as I was watching it unfolding, I kept thinking, funny enough, of the Late Late Show. There's one for everyone in the audience. I mean, they had a pot of money and they spread it around. And, you know, it was very much you were thinking, was this a budget with an election in mind? Of course, it was a budget with an election in mind. We've got local elections in European elections next year. I mean, both Pascal Donoghue and Michael McGrath are hoping there's one more budget left in this government. So we'll have another one next year that will very much be getting very close to a general election. But there was a sense that, you know, everybody was getting a little bit, but not everyone, as with any budget, even a budget that has a huge amount of money. You know, not everyone is going to be happy. And one of the some of the main criticisms that I'm reading about, one is the tax relief for the tracker mortgage uh, holders. Some are describing that as a very unfair tax uh, relief. Michael McGrath unveiled this tax relief on Tuesday and it's to help people deal with the surge in uh, interest rates. And you kind of think, you know, people are really, really struggling with their mortgages, but the devil is in the detail when they make any of these announcements. This will only apply to variable and tracker rate mortgage holders. They're the ones who have, of course, been hit by the ECB rate. But it's not going to help anyone who is on fixed rate mortgages. And that's unfair because when the mortgage interest rates started to go up, people were really starting to panic about how they were going to be able to afford their mortgages. And the advice that they were all given at the time was to fix in, get a fixed rate and they were the ones who went down that route and now they are listening to the budget to hear that there is going to be some tax relief but if you're on a fixed rate you're not going to get it. And mortgage experts are saying the payment will end up going to a large number of trackage mortgage holders who really don't need it. The fact that the relief excludes those who started on a tracker or a variable but then opted to fixed in. That's what's been labelled simply unfair. Now the measure will cost 120 million euro and 165 mortgage holders are expected to benefit. Now, again, to those who will benefit, they can't get too excited because the relief is only for one uh, a year. And, you know, some of the mortgage brokers are saying that the tax relief should not be going to the tracker customers and instead... A lot of people are saying they should be giving it to what's known as the mortgage prisoners, the people who are trapped with vulture funds through no fault of their own. They've ended up with the vulture funds and they are the ones who are spending huge, they've got huge, huge uh, interest uh, hikes and they're paying some of the highest uh, interest uh, rates. And I saw Brendan Burgess, he's the founder of AskAboutMoney.com. He said the fact that the tracker mortgage holders are getting the tax relief. He described it as absolutely daft. He said they have been given cheap money to pay for their homes for the last 11 years. That was when the ECB rates were zero. And he said they nearly had free money for those 11 years. He said the relief 
is a bad idea. It's daft and it's unfair. He said, why should the government be helping people to buy their own homes when they already own around 70% in equity? He said it is completely wrong. And he is another one who's also come out saying that it is the mortgage prisoners should have been the focus of any relief. And what they should have done was they should have looked at the people who are trapped with uh, vulture funds. So while that's one part of the mortgage that is the one part of the budget that isn't going down with their, with everyone. There's also uh, criticism of the tax breaks that have been given to landlords. Now, Nihon Martin, the Thornister came out and defended the tax breaks to uh, landlords. Now, it's the opposition parties are really up in arms about this. And he made the point that this budget in total was €96 billion. Uh, euro. So the small proportion that's going to landlords is relatively modest in that uh, context. But that's not sitting well with the opposition uh, parties because they're all joining forces and saying that this new income exemption to landlords now it will apply on the first 3000 euro on rental income but now they're, they're, the landlords have to give something back. It's for keeping the property in the rental market. Sinn Féin leader Mary New MacDonald says a nurse will get far less from this budget than a landlord. And uh, she says, can anyone explain that to me? And the Labour Party leader Ivana Babchik, she says a student who works part time will be paying more in tax than the owner of the property that they are renting. And the Social Democrats leader Holly Kearns, she says it was incredible that there was more support for landlords landlords in the budget than there was for tenants and for first time uh, buyers. But Michal Martin is out defending it, saying that the renters credit, that's been increased by 50% to €750. And he said a landlord will get a lesser sum. He said landlords are expected to get €600 in the first year and that will rise to €1,000 in uh, later years. In recent surveys, he said it indicated that there's a variety of reasons for landlords leaving the market and he says tax is the significant factor. Now, obviously, regulation is is another factor, but many are leaving uh, because they're simply saying that they're not making money uh, out of it. So they're trying to keep, and we, God knows we need to keep as many landlords as we can with the current housing crisis that we have. The Taoiseach Leo Varadkar, he said, for every renter, there has to be a landlord. And he said, therefore, we need landlords. The budget introduced some tax concessions that was designed to keep them in the market for a longer he also said he was increasingly confident that the government would exceed its target on new housing. I mean, that's what we need. We need more and more houses built and available to get people out of the cycle of homelessness that unfortunately so many people are living in. And I'm always looking for it in the budget because there's so much detail. And of course, we get the budget speech, but that doesn't contain everything. There's always other little bits and pieces that are hidden away in the midst of it. One I did see that will be of benefit to some is an expansion of the free travel. Now, at the moment, free, the free travel scheme, it covers every Irish res- residence once you hit the age of uh, 66. They also give free travel to people with disabilities and uh, carers under 66 may also qualify. But what they've decided to do in this budget, the scheme is going to be extended to people who are medically unfit to drive. Now, it isn't coming in instantly. It's not going to come in until July of next year. But I think that's a pretty uh, good move. You know, I personally know of someone who was recently uh, diagnosed with um, epilepsy. And obviously, once you've been diagnosed with epilepsy, you're no longer allowed to uh, drive. So therefore, medically unfit to drive. So for people like that and other people, 
people will have strokes and, you know, various other reasons that they're medically deemed unfit uh, to drive. So they will be, from July of 2024, they will be allowed to apply for free travel and a kind of, I said, one of the little hidden ones in the budget that I think is a really good move. 0818-103-103. John Paul taking new calls. C103 Jobs. Experienced traffic management operatives are wanted for the Mallow to Kildallery Road. Up-to-date safe pass and manual handling cert is required. CVs please to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com. Ashgrove Renewables are looking for a technical support administrator. It's for their office in in Mallow. Now, experiencing customer support in admin would be desirable. CVs please to hr at ashgrove.eu. Collins Ventilation and Mallow are recruiting for a general operative with current safe pass manual handling search. You also need to have a full clean driver's licence 086 0832611. And qualified plumbers required for immediate start. It's for domestic work in Cork City and in the West Cork areas 086 8296712. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMI. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
cork.ie. Now, Cork City Council are proposing to introduce street performer bylaws, which will set down laws governing those who decide to busk in our beautiful city. Green Party City Councillor Dan Boyle joins me with his views on these new bylaws. Good morning to you, Dan. Good morning, Patricia. Now, firstly, are you a fan or not of buskers? Uh, well, uh, as a musician myself, or a musician of sorts, okay. uh, I, I am a fan of busking, but uh, I, I think there's a need for both quality control and uh, limiting potential public nuisances, which is why we're bringing in public consideration of these bylaws. And at the moment, it's just open to anyone to perform what they like and where they like. Is is, is, is that the current situation? Uh, to a large extent, yes. I mean, there are still public nuisance laws that the Gardaí might take uh, into account. For instance, you know, there are things about uh, people taking their clothes off in public, for instance, oh. things like that. So, uh, <laughs> But uh, generally, it, it is a bit of a loose system at the moment. So t- tell me about the, the new bylaws that the councillor are proposing. Well, it's looking at a few things. It's looking at the areas in the city centre where musicians will be encouraged to make their pitches, do their playing. Um, it, it, it'll look at things like volume control. Um, it'll introduce licenses that will have to be paid for, for people who want to perform. Uh, and uh, it'll be looking at things like controlling volume if you're using electronic equipment. Uh, and there's even a section in the bylaws that seeks to avoid repetition in the performance itself, that uh, that uh, after a set time you shouldn't be repeating the same songs, for instance. Yeah, so if someone was uh, owned a shop there or was, was shopping in an area for a long time, they'd be hearing the same song over and over again to avoid that. And has that been a problem? Uh, it, it, and certain parts of the city centre and, and, and certain pitches. I, I think, to be fair, um, the, the general quality of busking is quite good. Uh, and for young musicians in particular, it, it's a kind of a, an initiation. It, it gives a, a testing ground for them to be uh, going out into the public uh, and, and to finesse their skills as musicians and things like that. But you've you got the people who chance their arms, who aren't very good musicians, who aren't very good singers, who uh, use electronic equipment in a, a very invasive way that isn't very musical at all. It's usually backing tracks or whatever, and uh, it, 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 it's not really showing the skill of, of, of musicianship uh, of producing the music. Yeah, there's nothing like seeing a young person play a guitar and sing. Yeah, it's very liberating. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and, and when, when that with a bit of gusto, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I take it the most co- is one of the most common complaints, the loudness. Some of them can be very loud. It can be, and, and that, that's why there are restrictions on, on the use of amplification. And in fact, further fees for that. So... Um, you could end up paying a three-figure sum if you if your act depended on a large scale of amplification, for instance. Uh, so it, it's to encourage more acoustic, uh, more softer types of presentation. Uh, and, and we're a festival city. We, we want people who are performers and artists uh, it, to be on the city streets as much as possible and interacting with the public as much as possible. But the bylaws are just in t- uh, intent to produce the constraints that are needed so everyone can live in harmony with each other, if you pardon the pun. And the fact that they are proposed bylaws, are you looking for the public to have their say on these bylaws? Yeah, yeah. You can go on to the uh, corkcity.ie section uh, and uh, there's a consult uh, button uh, and you'll see the public bylaws come up uh, and it's we're inviting submissions. 
uh, and any proposals, any amendments, and then it will go to the council itself, where the councils, councillors will be looking at critical ways of, of making the bylaws better and, and then bringing them into effect. And obviously, this is very much a chance for people who have who have bust in the past are planning on busking. Have your say now. Yeah, there has been some pre-consultation with with, with some umbrella groups and things like that. But uh, in terms of individual musicians, in terms of people who aren't necessarily musicians, but are other types of street performers, well, we we have a circus tradition in Cork as well. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I, I think anyone who thinks that. Uh, that street performing, busking, uh, wanting to hone and perform their art in public places, they should be taking interest in this and giving us their, their views on it. Okay. Um, and, and and the Gardaí, will they have the power then to move somebody on or, or to issue a fine once these bylaws are in? They will. Uh, now, I, I, I suppose the difficulty with bylaws that are produced by local councillors is that uh, the argument is that guards have enough to be getting on with. But it, 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 it is part of the general public order control that uh, we, we want to have and have, having the best possible atmosphere uh, for people living, working, shopping in the city centre. And uh, I, I think the, the guards will be making their own views heard. And when they're agreed, I, I, I can see them having a, a good, useful effect. And you mentioned that there will be permits. People will have to apply for a, a permit. Have you a rough idea how much those permits are going to cost? Um, they, it depends on the number of people performing. Okay. And it depends on the use of amplification. But I, I think the most basic one costs at 60 euro, I think. Okay, they're not very expensive. And that would be for the full no. year, would it? Uh, it would be for a specified time period. Uh, and the the other element would be that uh, it, it it increases by the number of people or the use of equipment. So that's where you could be getting into three figure sums for by these permits. Okay, I know it was Killarney. They introduced bylaws, didn't they? Did you look to see how they are getting on with their bylaws? Well, we, we, we've looked at some of the areas. I think Dublin City have had a discussion about this as well. Uh, and yeah, we're trying to learn from the experiences of others, and we're also trying to respond to some of the concerns that are being expressed about uh, poor quality and volume in, in certain locations of the city centre and hopefully we can address that by this. And just when I mentioned that we were going to be talking about busking today on the programme, it just ran through my head with, you know, less and less people uh, carrying cash. Um, how are, uh, what, do, what do buskers do about that? Yeah, it, it, it is an interesting situation. I, I don't carry much cash myself these days. Um well, they they even get a beneficiary of people giving them notes instead of coins, <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or or they can uh, they can maybe get some kind of a, a tapping thing that uh, people might have, uh, or revolution is yeah, something that, up, that young people in particular are yeah, using. Put a sign up, say revolute me, please, my my, my tip. All right, okay, because it's something I always like to get when I pass buskers. I'm, sure. I'm a bit like you. I I I love a, a a really good busker, and I think the atmosphere on the street. Take on a lovely sunny day to hear music. I think it's I think it's terrific. So it's um, I I don't want to see anything done that will stop buskers on our beautiful uh, city streets. But I think you're right. I do I do think bylaws need to be put in place just to weed out those that are not as good as others are. Okay, listen. We'll we'll and when when are you expecting the bylaws to be in? Well, the public consultation uh, is on now. They'll, they'll be there till about uh, the end of November. 
So I, I presume we'll, we'll have them approved and finally amended early in the new year, January something. OK. All right, we'll keep a close eye out for them, Dan. In the meantime, thank you for that and thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is a Green Party councillor in the city, Dan Boyle, on those new bylaws for street performers, uh, a.k.a. the buskers. We're going to Bandit Garda Station where I'm joined by Sergeant Morgan O'Sullivan uh, for this week's Garda File. Uh, good morning to Morgan. Good morning, Patricia. And you're very welcome to the programme. OK, you want to start with a couple of burglaries, the first of which happened in Roscarbury. That's correct, Patricia. Um... This incident took place in the Ownahinchy area, actually, and it occurred between the 6th of October and the 9th of October last, just a weekend just gone. Um, now, in this incident, uh, there was a private dwelling was entered. Uh, as a result, a car which was parked outside of the property was stolen. Now, while the car has since been recovered, um, and we have that, um, both incidents, both the taking of the car and the breaking to the house, um, are currently under investigation. So, Guardian Ross Carberry and Clannock Kilty are seeking that the public's assistance in trying to solve the crime. Um, and so the relevant dates and times again are the afternoon of last Friday, the 6th of October, until last Sunday, afternoon, the 9th of October. And the car, which was later recovered, was a black Toyota Yaris. Um, so if any local person or indeed a visitor to Owen Hinch over last weekend or something suspicious, um, we would ask them to contact the Gardaí at Clonakilty. OK, from Owen Hinch then to Bantry, where there was a burglary. Um, that's correct. Now, this burglary was a business premises, whereas the last one was a residential um, premise. So the Guardian Bantry are investigating this incident. Um, it took place in the Colomani area of Bantry in the early hours of Thursday, the 28th of September last. Um, the entry was gained to a, pr- a commercial premises um, sometime between 2 a.m. and 3 a.m. in the morning. Um, now, as a result of the security system activating the culprit left the premises, um, so, Gardaí are in the process of trying to identify the person or the persons involved. And if anyone observed any activity on the night, it was from Wednesday the 27th, really, into Thursday the 28th of September in the Colomani area. Or indeed, that would extend to the general Bantry area. We would ask them to contact the Gardaí at Bantry, who were looking for this instance. But the alarm went off and that spooked whoever The alarm went off and yeah, that was so caused the person to leave, which just shows so the value of having an alarm. Yeah, which ties in nicely with what we're going to talk about now, because you want to talk about oper- Garda Operation Thor. And this it, it very much focuses on preventing uh, burglaries. So we all have to kind of do our own bit, don't we, when it comes to home security? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I suppose Operation Thor has been running now for a number of years. Um, and I suppose look, it's in Gar Shikana's special focus on preventing burglaries and protecting local communities in general. Um, so I suppose our winter phase of this operation is commencing. Um, I suppose look for more side, let the Gardaí prepare an operational plan involving preventative activity, which is basically designed to prevent potential burglars for, from exploiting the reduced hours of daylight at this time of the year. Um, and like as you alluded to yourself there, I suppose crime prevention is kind of everyone's business, really. We all have a role to play. And this was Gardaí across County Cork and beyond will actively target organised crime gangs and repeat offenders through coordinated crime prevention, you know, and enforcement activity. Um, and that would be based on local trends or local intelligence. But I suppose, again, if we all have a role in the community, I suppose, you know, just to remind people um, of our lock-up, light-up advice, um, which is a part of our Operation TAR programme, you know, and to be, be mindful of the security measures we can take in relation to our own homes and businesses. And I suppose that briefly, we would always encourage you to, to lock all doors and windows, 
um, to turn on some lights. And I suppose, look, LED bulbs are more energy efficient than traditional bulbs, you know, if people mm-hmm. have them. To use timer switches or motion detectors, always use your alarm if you have it, as in the case of that burglary we spoke about where the alarm was activated. And again, look, to store keys away from windows and doors. Um, again, we saw a car being taken in a burglary in a previous incident and to do, you know, not to keep large amounts of cash or jewellery in your house. Um, and to follow on, I suppose, in, to report any suspicious activity to the Gardaí and maybe, you know, and always, always be mindful of vulnerable neighbours. Yeah, keep a lookout for for each other, and 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 it's interesting when you know you talk about locking up, um, because how many times on this particular slot have we spoken about cars been broken into, and they actually weren't broken into somebody had left the car open hadn't locked uh, the car and it's the same if you're popping out oh, I'm just going out to collect the kids or I just need to go to the shop people think just because I'm going to be out for a short period of time you get opportunistic criminals who will and, and they can get in and out in a very short period of time very short and we have seen trends of that in crime and this is included across Cork and West Cork where people just, they're throwing doors of cars or houses and if they're unlocked, they take the opportunity, like you say, of removing what's close to them or near them. And sometimes that actually involves car keys in a house and the car is gone. Yeah. You know, and it's something we, we continuously advise people about because I suppose we just leave our guard over a short period of time. You don't expect it. And then something can happen. Yeah, and I suppose when we when we drive home and you lock the car and you go into the house, get into the habit of putting the keys away safely. You know, throwing them on the hall table. They're there. If, if God forbid somebody breaks in, your car then can be gone because you've left the keys sitting there for them. Absolutely, and it's, it's all about um, I suppose employing good habits that um, are preventative measures for anything happening down the line. Okay, now we're coming into uh, the period of Halloween and I know we've got our pet corner in the next hour and it's one of the questions that's already come in um, because fireworks going off can really, really frighten animals, dogs in in particular. Uh, You want to advise people about fireworks. They are illegal in this country, isn't that the case? That is true, they are illegal. And as we approach Halloween, we would go from a safety point of view and the illegal point of view, but... Um, as we approach Halloween, you know, we just want to highlight, I suppose, a campaign which we are involved in with other agencies in that raising awareness of the dangers of fireworks. And I suppose, in particular, the damaging effect they can have on some members of our communities. Now, um, the Irish Guide Dogs, the ISPCA, uh, the Fire Service, they're some of the organisations involved in this year's firework awareness campaign. And so, look, from the outside, the fireworks are dangerous, you know, and that we would encourage people like, not to buy them, to sell them, to use them. And, you know, to think of the elderly people or vulnerable people in, in our communities, again, and like you mentioned, like pets, livestock, other animals, including guide dogs. Like, um, if fireworks are being used, that these are the, the people or um, the animals that can be affected by that. And so, look, while safety is the main message, um, I suppose it shouldn't go unnoticed. And like you said, the fireworks are illegal. Um, and, if, you know, you could be liable to prosecution if you are found in possession of them. So that we was just, I suppose appeal to people to be safe and do not have fireworks in your possession. Yeah, and you can have elderly people, you know, living on their own. It can be very frightening, you know, when suddenly you get these loud banging noises and, you know, they don't know where it's coming from. Absolutely, because they, they might know what's happening exactly yeah, yeah. and they might mistake it for something else. Um, and like I said, people who are vulnerable um, in that um, case, like they they would find it hard to deal with that and know exactly what's happening. Yeah, again, be aware of others. Now, you want to highlight an open day that you're holding at the Garda Station in Bandon. 
Yeah, just lastly, um, before we finish, this with Guardian Bandon here are hosting an open day at station for members of the public on Saturday, the 28th of October, um, from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. So if anyone, any of your listeners are around Bandon uh, that day, please drop into us. Um, and there's intended of members, you know, of different units present on the day. So we'd love to see people calling into us. OK. All right. Listen, thank you for that, uh, Morgan. Have a good week. And thanks for joining us on the programme. Thank you, Patricia. Good morning to you. That is Sergeant uh, Morgan O'Sullivan based at uh, Bandon uh, Garda Station. And just some breaking news out of y'all. Garda, in, who are in investigating the disappearance of Tina Satchel, have found skeleton remains at the home where she lived in y'all. Now, the remains at this stage haven't been identified as of yet, but Garda are very much satisfied that they are human remains and the assistant state pathologist uh, Margot Bolster along with a forensic anthropologist are visiting the home this morning. It's understood that the bones were actually discovered during a search of the site yesterday uh, evening. Members of the Garda Technical Bureau and a local division of search team of course as we've been reporting have been examining the property since uh, Tuesday evening and that followed the arrest of a man on suspicion of the murder of uh, Tina but that man as we know was released uh, last night after his questioning. He was allowed to be questioned for 24 hours but that questioning uh, ran out so we now have skeleton remains uh, found. Goodness me this story is just so, so sad on so many different levels and it is very much to to the forefront, I think, of all of our minds are uh, Tina's family and what Tina's family have been going through now for over six years since her disappearance, uh, if this turns out that it is uh, her remains. Anyway, that's just the very latest that's broken on that particular uh, story. If more unfolds throughout the day, we'll bring it to you. Uh, 0818103103. We are heading towards news at uh, 12 midday. It is Thursday, so Jane Pickett uh, will be answering all of your pet questions if there's something wrong with any of the animals in your home. I know already we're, I have some people who are worried with Halloween just around the corner and we coincidentally touched on it uh, in Garda File. The release of fireworks can be devastating uh, particularly some dogs can get really really nervous and they can get such a fright that many of them just simply don't recover from it so we'll uh, we'll look to Jane for some advice which we do every single year and every year without fail we'll get calls in from people saying you know how affected their animals were uh, because the neighbours decided to leave off fireworks so please think about that if you are going to use fireworks which as we already have stated are illegal our hours to protect uh, feature which happens on Friday mornings doing our bit to try to save our beautiful planet and this week on Ours to Protect we're going to hear about an eco-friendly solution to silage covering. Now that will be of interest not just to the farming community but it will certainly be interest, it'll be of interest to anyone who lives near farmland where silage has to be spread. That's on our Ours to Protect feature uh, which we'll bring you tomorrow morning at about a quarter to twelve. I want to give a quick shout out and a mention uh, to a young man called Peter Ryan who is today completing the final day of his first ever ultra endurance run and he is running from Malinhead 
to Mizzenhead. And today is important that he completes this amazing challenge because today is World Sight Day. And Peter, when he was just 19, was diagnosed with a very rare genetic condition, which has left him now with less than 10% uh, vision. And he has decided to embark on this endurance run and at the same time hoping to raise €100,000 for the National Council for the Blind. It's incredible what uh, Peter has done over the last four days as they were on today uh, five. When it's all over, he'll, I think I read he'll have completed the uh, approximately 11 marathons. Can you imagine that over five days? It really is unreal. And today he is in our neck of the woods. He uh, he started his run this morning from McCroom. He's going to Bantry, Tourmore and then finally on to Mizzen and then he would have completed Malinhead to Mizzenhead. And when we last we checked because there's a tracker online you can live track at Peter's run. He was on the at the Cusson Gap. So we wish, wish him well. And if you see him anywhere along the line, get out and applaud him because what he's doing is absolutely incredible. Now, we did put a call through to see if we could have a quick few words with him. But obviously, he's just focused on completing the run today. But he has promised to, to take time out to talk to us tomorrow. So I look forward to talking to him. Uh, but it's it's ter- it's unreal what he's doing, running from Maddenhead to Mizzenhead. But doing that for somebody who is uh, legally registered as blind is not an easy achievement. So well done to Peter Ryan. As I say, we look forward to chatting to him tomorrow. I spoke about fireworks going off particularly with regard to animals and it's something we will touch on with uh, Jane Pickett when she joins us um, in this the final hour of the programme. Uh, Rath Cormac listener says Trish I was listening John about the fireworks well for the last four or five nights there's been fireworks going off here in Rath Cormac. It's a long way to go to Halloween yet my dogs are already very frightened uh, by them. Yeah we're not even halfway through uh, October because once upon a time with these illegal fireworks. People would get their hands on them and the different bangers and stuff. And usually it would be maybe the night before Halloween, definitely the night of Halloween and maybe one night afterwards. But it seems to be getting earlier and earlier into October and it doesn't just end on Halloween night. If people have have fireworks left over, they have a tendency then to release them the week after as well. And it can cause great nuisance to a lot of people. So whoever's leaving off fireworks in the Rath Gormick area for the last four or five nights, will you please desist? You're frightening some of the local animals. We were talking about busking on the programme today. A couple of comments in on that. Monica says, I welcome buskers. Because I think it brings a great atmosphere to our towns and cities. But I would have to question the quality of some of our buskers. People themselves might think they're great singers. And it's very hard for friends or family to say, oh, look, really stick to the day job. You're not great at the singing. And then they go off and they go out busking and they're not really very good. And they can ruin the experience for all other buskers. Yes, I'll have no problem with buskers out on the streets, but please make sure that they are good musicians and are good singers. Home singing, according to our Monica, does not count. Well, nowhere in the bylaws have I seen that you'd have to audition. Maybe, Monica, you need to put that suggestion through. You can go on to the bylines on Cork City Council's website and you can you know, throw in your own top and safety worth. Maybe auditions, kind of an X an factor style auditions. And if you're good enough, and then I don't know who they would pick in the council to decide who's good enough to sing and who's not. And Emer in Whitechurch also gave us a call and said that she used to work part time in a shop just off Patrick Street in the city. And she says it's the noise of the amp 
that they use for their guitars. That can be so uh, loud. At times, she says, the buskers and their amps were so loud, we couldn't hear what the customers were saying. And I know that is one of the criticisms that has come, constantly comes into Cork City Council. And that's going to be covered under these bylaws. And if anybody's, you know, there'll be so many decibels of which they can play. And I also like the idea what Dan Boyle said, there will be specific areas where they will be allowed to busk in or not busk in. And hopefully it'll take the annoyance away that it can cause to some people. Thank you for your calls to 0818103103. Then some WhatsApps and texts in. Anne says, uh, good morning, uh, Patricia. I picked up some elderly visitors at the city bus station yesterday. They were after being on the bus for three hours and they needed to use the toilet at the bus station. But they couldn't go to the toilet because there was a barrier up and you had to have 20 cents to open the barrier. One of the passengers (laughs) decided to try to climb over the barrier. But a bus air and employee stopped him. I think this is ridiculous as passengers have paid their fares already. And by the way, there was no toilet on the bus. Is this actually legal? By the way, Susanna wouldn't have survived. I don't carry cash, so I wouldn't have even had the 20 cent. I'll get John Paul to check. And I don't know. I haven't been in the bus station in Cork City uh, for quite some time. And I don't know. Was there always a uh, Hang on, John Paul is pointing at me. Maybe he has the answer already. I don't know if this is something new, uh, a barrier or not, or was it anything to do with uh, anti... Uh, OK, I'm straight away thinking, was it anything to do with antisocial uh, behaviour? And John Paul literally is telling me that due to antisocial behaviour at the bus station, they had no choice but to erect uh, the barrier. So you need to have 20 cent and obviously you put the 20 cent in and that lifts the barrier and then that allows you access uh, to the uh, toilet. And John Paul says we did cover the issue. It came up uh, during the summer. All right. So just let let that be a word of warning to people. If you are travelling on the bus and you are going into the city centre bus station, you need to bring If you want to spend a penny, you're going to need to spend 20 cents for the barrier to be raised to allow you in. 0818103103. And then John was on to us when I was talking about the budget uh, earlier. Just some of the criticism, there's always criticism after the budget isn't there, but kind of it's the days afterwards when people start to really dig into the detail of the budget and start to see it certainly was a budget where everybody got a little for some People are very happy with the budget, others are not. But then, you know, there will always be, not everyone is always going to be, no matter how much money they spent, they're not going to be have enough to please uh, everyone. But what is irking John this morning is that the HSC are to get 600 million euro uh, extra to maintain and improve waiting lists last year. John says it's been reported that that will be 30% of what is actually required. So they've been given this money for the waiting lists, but they know even at the very outset, only 30% of those on waiting lists will be covered with that 600 million euro. Yet, says John, when he was listening to the budget, the government announced that Ukrainian refugees uh, will cost two and a half billion euro next year. John says, do we, enough ha- do we not already have enough refugees in this country? Do we need to take any more, particularly when the, uh, how much it is costing uh, the uh, exchequer? Yeah, it was two billion this year. 
But it was announced in the budget that they're expecting that that's going to go up by half a billion. So next year, the total amount is estimated to be 2.5 billion. So 2.5 billion for next year, 2024. It was 2 billion for this year and it was 1 billion in uh, 2022. And they say the cost projections are based on a number of high level assumptions regarding the number of people requiring support and the unit cost of providing a range of uh, supports. But uh, these figures do not include any uh, projections as to the number likely to arrive next year. So if the numbers even go up higher, if they haven't put projections in, that 2.5 billion euro may not even be uh, enough and we know since the outbreak of the war 94,000 people have arrived in Ireland from Ukraine it's under the EU's temporary protection directive and that equates to 1.6% of the Ukrainian refugees in uh, Europe and that figure of 1.6% we you know when people say oh we've taken enough and some will say we're a small country and we have taken enough when you look at 94,000 people And then others will say, oh, we were, you know, how come other countries aren't taking as many? Well, we are taking, when you look at all of the Ukrainians that have fled their country, we are just taking 1.6% of those that are in, uh, in, that have fled to uh, Europe. Now, where does the money uh, come from? Almost two thirds of the expenditure relates to provision for accommodation. That's the biggest cost and that comes out of the the budget for the Department of Children, Equity, Disability and Youth. And the second largest category then is the social protection payments. That works out at about 22% of the money spent goes on, so, on social welfare and the next highest spending areas in relation to education. And that is split between the Department of Further and Higher Education and the Department of Education, where about 8% of the funding is needed uh, there. But it's interesting, 22% is is in the social protection the largest bunch of the largest amount of money is spent on uh, accommodation and I know and we did bring it up on the programme uh, and we looked at it a couple of weeks ago we know there are discussions within the government as to the amount of money that's paid to the Ukrainian refugees when they arrive at the moment they get the full job seekers allowance but is it 220 uh, euro uh, a week and when you compare that to other countries we are very generous in what we give to the Ukrainian refugees when they arrive and there is talks about looking at that figure again so whether they will look at that figure again and lower the amount that they give because by doing that they will they will uh, uh, save uh, but yes um that texture is uh, right to and a half billion euro is the estimate that will be spent on looking after Ukrainian refugees across next year. 0818103103. Hi, Patricia, enjoying your programme. Thank you. Uh, I listened to you last week when you were pr- promoting Roger Nagel's Repair Cafe. To, it was to be held in the library in Mallow last Saturday. I thought to myself, says this texter, what a great initiative. I'm wondering how it went. I don't know. I'll ask John Paul when he gets a chance. He's busy answering phones, but I'll ask John. Paul, maybe to get back on to Roger. I thought it was a wonderful uh, initiative as well. And Roger spoke to us about the fact that there are other repair uh, cafes. He's just trying to get one up and running in Mallow Library. And he did promise he'd let us know when the next one, because it's, you know, it's not going to be held every weekend. Uh, but I thought it was great because we're getting 
as as a society, we just something breaks and we have a tendency just to throw it out and we go out and we buy something new. Whereas when we look to our parents and our grandparents, there was repair shops where people could bring items. And there was also people within our own households who were handy at fixing things. But we just seem to be, we just throw things away and, and buy a new one, which is a real, real shame particularly when we're looking at the environment and we're talking about the environment and talking about trying to protect the environment. And the worst thing we can do with anything is to just dump it and, you know, send it to uh, landfill. 0818103103. And Dan, when we were, I was talking about mortgage holders in the budget and how some are going to be looked after. Dan says our mortgage holders are being ripped off by vulture funds. And Dan says that's 100% attributed to Fina Gale and Michael New. Noonan, who invited them in after the crash. I'm assuming you're, they invited the IMF in after the crash is what you're talking about. Banks then sold on mortgages to uh, vulture funds and people had absolutely no choice in it. And these were banks that we, the Irish people, uh, bailed out. That's the reality, no matter what way the government want to look at it. Dan says we need to tax the vulture funds heavily and we need to get back homes back to the people who originally owned them. Thank you for that, Dan, to 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. Kildallery Community Development are holding their weekly lotto draw. It's this afternoon at four and it'll be held in the local community office with a jackpot of €10,500. McCroom Flower and Garden Club are hosting a gardening talk on autumn bulb planting. It'll be by Hester Ford of Cusheen Garden. It's on tonight at 8, Coolcar House. Club competitions and a sales table and visitors are very welcome. Johnny McAvoy appears in the Glen Theatre in Bantir on this Friday night. Tickets available by calling 029-56239. And a fundraising concert in aid of the item Irish Motor Neuron and Disease Association and Marymount Hospice in memory of John Mulcahy will take place at the Arches in Mallow Marquis tomorrow night, Friday. Doors will open at 8. Cash returns Johnny Cash and June Carter. It's a live tribute show that starts at half 8. It's strictly over 18 event and some tickets will be available from the Arches. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork Today at C103.ie. Today on C103. And just briefly, some uh, follow on text. Anne is back. Anne was the person who went in to pick up three elderly visitors at the bus station yesterday to discover they wanted to spend a penny. Uh, literally, they needed 20 cents to spend the penny, and the one of them tried to get over the barrier and the bus and employee uh, stopped them. Um, Anne is saying, could the employee not see that these were three elderly people and open the barrier for them? They just didn't have cash on them and they had just spent three hours on a bus, on a bus that had no uh, toilet. And uh, somebody else says the bus station charge 
is uh, crazy. Limerick Station has free toilet use. Dublin is the same, but surely, uh, but yet Cork is charging us with bus fares so expensive. There's got to be a solution. And as I say, we did look into this. Uh, John Paul says we got onto bus air in, um, earlier on in the summer about it and they told us that it was due to antisocial behaviour. They had no choice but to erect the um, barrier. But I think Anne has a point she was picking up three elderly people who just spent three hours on the bus. They didn't look like that they were going to cause any kind of antisocial behaviour. They just needed to go into the toilet. I think some common sense needs to be used uh, as well. 0818103103. I want to return to the Bantry Mental Health Unit that we started the programme with this morning by talking about the fact that it's to close uh, for four months, it's part of a 2.5 million refurbishment project, which is, I think everybody is welcoming. But it's the fact that the unit is closing. Patients are going to have to move to CUH and to the Mercy. And the staff seem to still be a little bit unclear as to exactly what they are going to be doing for the uh, four months. We've been contacted by local independent West Cork Doll Deputy Michael Collins. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, and again, it's this lack of communication because I also spoke with Michael Hayes, who's the Deputy General Secretary of the PNA. That's the point he was making as well. Keep people informed when you're making these decisions. The HSC don't seem to be great at doing that. No, and it seems to be the cart before the horse here. Uh, that I think some of this information was leaked uh, to individuals to put out a, a positive spin. And look, Two point four million being spent on, or two point five million being spent on a mental health unit is good news. Now, I've always, always um, stood up for the the fact that there should be a new standalone unit in Bantry uh, uh, for the mental health services. That hasn't been uh, given to the community, and unfortunately, we find ourselves in a situation where they're going to do a lot of works on the inner shape of the building. Um, now, I, I did communicate. I got communication from uh, the HSE last week asking me, uh, like basically putting my mind at ease. Uh, telling me this is going to happen. So I, I went back and asked basic questions. Where are the patients going to go? Um, where will individuals from West Cork who require admission to an acute mental health unit go during the period of closure, which is a hugely important issue? Uh, is the number of beds post-completion uh, going to be the same as, as it was uh, prior to uh, work starting? Um, communication with staff, because I, I had been, I had met uh, with people that had told me, uh, with families that had told me the staff weren't in any way, shape or form communicating about any uh, change to their work practices or where they were going to go what is meant to be done and also impact on the agency staff who play a crucial role uh, in the running of the Benjamin Mental Health Units and what's the plan for these staff and also the NCHD employees they're the non-consultant hospital doctors where will they be relocated and will they return when the unit reopens and I have yet a week later, uh, have yet to get answers to many of those questions, and they're very legitimate questions. And you, you think that if you have a decision made that you're going to have to close the unit for 16 weeks, and all these uh, would be in place. Now, they came back to me last week, the HSE, saying that they'd look into the, these questions and come back to me, uh, that some of the decisions hadn't been made yet. But that's very unfair for, for both a patient. It's very unfair for, for um, uh, the, the workers that are out there. And there's great anger uh, out there because of this, Patricia. Yeah, well, both Deputy Christopher O'Sullivan and Michael Hayes of the PNA, they've both had communication with the HSE who tell them that the staff are going to be working out in the community for the four months. It looks to me as if the staff up to now haven't been communicated themselves. And that's where there's, there's great anger within the unit, that at least you would expect, whether they're um, whether they're agency staff or full-time staff, that this would 
being communicated to these people weeks ago before this happened so that they wouldn't be picking up the, the, the newspaper or whatever radio station and hearing this is going to happen all, you know, based on a good news story. But the thing is, when it's your own job, and I mean, look, there's a, a problem that's very much replicated down in Belgoli at the moment in North Zealand, where there's 51 people haven't been communicated in Belgoli as to where their jobs are going to be in two weeks' time. No, it's it's very, yeah, it's, it's, it, is, it is really, really difficult on uh, staff. Uh, and then, you know, the big worry, I think, for people was when they heard that there was going to close people, you know, put two and two together and came up with ten, thinking that it was yeah. going to close for good. Now, it, it, you know, I think that they're, in the fact, they're investing this amount of money. I, I think that bodes well uh, for the future. But I would worry, because we know when building works start, will it, will, will 16 weeks be enough? And that's one of the questions I asked at the yeah. timeline. Are we guaranteed it is going to be 16 weeks? Because the email I got from the HSE, you could feel there was a bit of wiggle room there uh, to get you know someone out of a bit of trouble. And, and of course, communication has been made to me. You have to look at Christmas breaks, there's different breaks, Halloween breaks. That's all going uh, uh, to... I'd be worried that it takes this beyond 16 weeks. And yeah, we and, and, very, and as well, and I, and I think it's an area we haven't really mentioned this morning, um, I have huge sympathy for the residents and for their family in particular because suddenly now, rather than going visiting a loved one in Bantry in West Cork, you're suddenly now making that long journey up to the city to either go to CUH Church in the Mercy Hospital. It's going to be hugely inconvenient for families. And that's what families have also been on to me of that concern. Like, and obviously they were concerned initially that it would maybe be closed permanently. And we have to be careful in case there's a decision made. But I also am very concerned about the, the, the day-to-day admissions that happen day and night in the Bantry Mental Health Unit. What is going to happen there? And they haven't communicated that back to me or maybe others as to what's going to happen patients and need that, that uh, you know... The, the, the admissions to an acute mental health unit is going to be uh, afforded them in West Cork. No, we don't know if that's going to be afforded them in Chile or is it going to be Cork City or whatever. So like, there's a lot of questions unanswered here and I'm a bit surprised that they announced this uh, and, and put this out there without having their homework done initially. It's, it looks sloppy and it doesn't, it's not, it's not good. And you need, you know, you need everybody to buy into something like this. Mm. And when, do you know, families, when, when is the work due to start? I haven't been told when the work is to commence. I've asked that question also. And, uh, you know, I, I maybe posed many more questions than, that they'd rather see. But I'm being honest. There are questions I've got from both the, the uh, people that are working there, from both the patients, you know, uh, families and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm posing these three questions. And I, I've told them that I don't agree with the unit being closed. Because, I mean, it is a lack and a loss of a, a major loss of a service in West Cork for four months. And it might go on for five or six months. That would be my concern. But at least, yeah. if it's to happen, we need a very clear-cut answer to the number of questions that I pose that have been asked of me to uh, pose uh, from the uh, people of West Cork. Well, I'm just adding up the, um, you know, there's assurances that's been given that the centre will reopen at full capacity by January the 31st. I mean, if we're counting 16 weeks, that works should already be underway. Should have started the beginning of October, do October, November, December and January for it to be 16 weeks. So they need to get moving. Okay. All right, listen, keep us posted on this one, uh, Michael, and thank you for that and thanks for contacting us. Um, Good afternoon to you. That is West Cork Doll Deputy uh, Michael Collins on the 20 cent to go to the loo if you're at the bus station in Cork City. Georgian from Moy was on to say he fully understands where Anne is coming from. She went there yesterday to pick up three elderly friends or relatives. I don't know what it was and they couldn't get access to the toilet. But George says, could they not just have paid 
the 20 cent. Georgian Fomoy says I'd rather pay 20 cent for a decent clean toilet than using a free one as you see in other bus stations around the country and they're full of toilet paper and debris thrown around the floor and urine uh, everywhere whereas if you're paying a 20 cent uh, it is uh, clean. I think the issue was that none of them were carrying cash and that nobody had 20 cent which is a huge problem when you don't carry cash and if you need to have a 20 cent coin not everyone has a 20 cent coin available. I think that's what the issue was. It was that they begrudged paying it they didn't have it and when one tried to climb over the barrier they were stopped by an employee Still getting reaction in to Anne and her story of going to the bus station yesterday to uh, collect three elderly friends from a bus they had been on the bus for three hours they needed to use the loo when they went to use the loo at the bus station they discovered you have to pay 20 cents there's a barrier goes up now I don't know do you pay one twenty cent and all three then can get into the toilets? I don't quite know how the barrier works. But anyway, uh, for, they didn't have uh, any money with them. Uh, didn't have any change with them. Uh, and one tried to hop over the barrier and uh, a member of staff told them that he wasn't allowed to do that. But Anne was just saying, you know, you, you pay enough for your bus ticket. Should you not be allowed to at least have uh, go to the toilet and as we explained it's due to antisocial behaviour and this happens it's not just at the the bus station in Cork but unfortunately we've seen this in other shopping centres and in other areas as well that if you leave toilets open unfortunately it can attract antisocial behaviour it can attract I mean it can get it can attract drug uh, taking and uh, drug dealing uh, as well as just general antisocial behaviour and you know something has to be done to make the toilets available for people who genuinely want to use them for what they're designed for, to go to the toilet. So the answer then often is to put a charge, but it doesn't suit everyone. Somebody says, Patricia, climbing over the barrier, was that not a bit of a cheeky move on the person's behalf? Pay or find somewhere else. But again, I go back to, I don't think it had anything to do with the, the objection to the 20 cent. They just didn't have 20 cent. And Anne herself said she couldn't help because she doesn't carry cash either. There's a big move and we've got the banks and some would even say the government. There's a big push to go towards a cashless society. And when we get to a cashless society, what happens when you need to spend a penny or spend 20 cent? And here's somebody who's got a great solution. Why not put a machine in that you can scan your bus ticket in order to go in to the toilet? Would that not solve the problem? That sounds like a terrific idea uh, because everyone, anyone who would get on, get on the bus who needed to use the toilet would have a bus ticket before they get on the bus and anybody getting off the bus would have a ticket with them and could you do some some way that you could scan it that certainly is a great great suggestion uh, well done now somebody was on earlier about the flu jab for children and is it available it is it was available I think it's from Monday of this week it became available actually I got my flu jab I have to say uh, yesterday and delighted all, all three of us myself Marsh and the hubby headed off so we're all done for another year so if you are on the list of people to get your flu jab it is available please go and get it but there is a free nasal spray flu uh, vaccine and it's available to all children aged between 2 and uh, 12 it's available from this week also available to Children who are older, like the 13 to 17 year olds, that's if they're at high risk from the flu uh, virus. But this is the first time that the vaccine is going to be offered to children in school who are in senior infants, as well as to all pupils in primary special needs schools, all other children 
can get the vaccine, they can either go to, to their GP or certain pharmacies as well, check in with pharmacies uh, to see if they have the nasal spray flu for uh, children. And the HSE have pointed out that the flu is a serious illness that can be dangerous in uh, children. And they also know that children are twice as likely as adults to catch the flu and they can spread the flu easily easier to other children, young children in particular. They're more likely than adults to end up being very, very sick from flu. So vaccinating children, it protects them. It obviously goes on to protect their siblings, parents and grandparents and anyone else that they might come in contact with who is vulnerable from the flu uh, virus. And I was surprised to read that last winter, 1,274 children under the age of 15 had to be admitted to hospital because of the flu. That's a huge number of uh, children. And in the 10 years from 2009 to 2019, um, 183 uh, children were admitted to intensive care and 41 sadly passed away from the flu virus. So it is really, really serious. And take up the vaccine last winter amongst children aged 2 to 17. Unfortunately, it was very low. It only came in at a little over 15% uh, last year. So the HSC are saying children are given the nasal vaccine. It literally is a spray um, and it is sprayed once into each nostril. So it's quick. It's pain free. Children can breathe normally. uh, And many of them report that it just tickles when when they're given. And getting the nasal spray flu vaccine is safe. It's quick and pain free way to protect your your child from the flu this winter. Now, while most children who catch flu will get very mild uh, symptoms, unfortunately, flu can and does lead to serious complications such as pneumonia or bronchitis in some children. And children, especially the very young, they're the ones uh, more likely than adults to get very severe complications from uh, flu. And this flu vaccine gives your child the best protection uh, against it. And you can, if you go on to the hsc.ie, they have the full list of participating pharmacies because it might be easier for people to just to pop into their local uh, pharmacy uh, or you can contact your GP as well but we know it's hard to get into GPs and GPs are very busy at the, busy at the moment and that's where your local pharmacy is fantastic. That's where we actually went. We went to our local pharmacy to get the, the vaccine and it's the and you're in and out. It's the easiest and the quickest way uh, to do it. 0818 103 103 uh, Teen. Oh this is on Tina Satch. Oh okay. We mentioned earlier that there was breaking news from Tina Satchel in that uh, skeleton remains have been found at the former home of uh, Tina in Yall and the the Gardaí are now the state pathologist is in there and um, other experts are in there we're waiting for them for for full identification but it's now been announced that a man has been arrested after those those suspected human remains were found during the search of the uh, property. That's where I've got to go for today. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. We'll talk to you tomorrow with Tennant. Then I'm Patricia Messenger. Good afternoon. On C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie.